Hello, and welcome to Radio SGN. I am one of your humble hosts, A.V. Eichenbaum, they, them pronouns, and I'm joined by two people who don't have asthma, <coughs> Lindsay Anderson and Hannah Saunders. Folks, how are you? Doing great. Wow, surround sound, stereo, I love it. It is a classic rainy Seattle afternoon when we're recording here. I've got a cup of coffee in my hand. I've got my chunky cardigan. And uh, I have a question for you guys. I've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off quite a bit with Capitol Hill Pride Fest. Just happened. And we had three special issues last month. As an editor, as the editor, I'm feeling a little frayed at the edges. But what do you guys do to relax? My favorite thing, I like to go to the ocean. I think the water just brings a sense of calmness and freshness, but also, you know, get outdoors, whether that's just a nice neighborhood walk with the pup. I also literally play music like all day, every day. So that's a nice relaxing activity. And then, yeah, drawing and painting too. Those are my go-tos. What about you, Lindsay? My favorite way to relax is uh, pop three melatonin gummies and forget the world exists for a little while. Um, other than that, nature nature is very healing as well. You live in the middle of the city, right? Yes, I do. Where do you go for your nature walks? Because I live right by the lake, and sometimes that's really nice. Lake Union is beautiful, uh, and sometimes there are a bunch of drunk boat people uh, just having a grand old time, and I just don't have the energy. Yeah, I don't know about you, Hannah, but um, Pocket Beach is a good, like, 10-minute drive from here, and I'm lucky enough to have a car, so I'll just get my little dog in the car, and we'll drive down, and it's a little walk from where we park, and, you know, you can find a nice spot by the ocean to just read. Otherwise, um, I'm in Capitol Hill, so there's, like, three blocks away from where I live by, you know, the homeless encampments are um, actually rich mansions and neighborhoods that I like to walk around Mm -hmm. and pretend I'm, like, the granddaughter of Neris. When people look at me funny, I'm like, you don't know me. I could be visiting my papa. (laughs) (laughs) I do like that neighborhood quite a bit up at the top because it it has a lot of parks and it feels very like almost Nightmare on Elm Street-y, you know? Like the houses are just a little too nice. There's that overgrown, it's like walking through a forest. They actually put in little spaces where cars can't drive into the layout of that and I love that because I'm I don't drive uh, because I'm not a fan of cars really I think you know they're useful to some extent um, but we design our cities around them now and that's not a great way to live it's very stressful I wrote an entire op-ed about sort of finding the quiet places in Seattle but I still feel stressed what I do is I usually I'll listen to podcasts you know but most of my podcasts are horror podcasts. Um, I do listen to one. I was listening to it this morning. It's called The Empty Bowl, which is a relaxation podcast all about s- cereal news, like breakfast cereal. And it's really good. Um, but yeah, I just, I've just been stressed out, man. Just been stressed out. Speaking of stressed out, HRC president... Alfonso David. Alfonso David, probably pretty stressed out. He's been booted by the board. That's on our front page. Sorry, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, we are the SGN 
uh, podcast that is Seattle Gay News, which has been in print for 47 years, the podcast associated with that. So what we do here is we go over some of the front page news, the horoscopes, whatever we do, and then we have a little bit of a break, and then we have an interview. And usually we talk about the Pope or Lil Nas X. Kind of, it's a 50-50 split. But if uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We're going to go over the news portion. Alfonso David, fired by the HRC board for his association with Andrew Cuomo. Governor Cuomo, of course, has had a bunch of uh, sexual misconduct allegations put up against him. That's in New York, for those of you who are uh, geographically disinclined. Um, what does this mean? That the Human Rights Commissioner possibly aided Cuomo or stuck up for Cuomo and his uh, disgusting behavior? I'm glad they fired him. I have done some pieces on the HRC, and I think they're a very good organization, and it's really shocking and upsetting to find out that the president was involved with someone who allegedly sexually harassed woman and I think they took the proper course of action in terms of firing his ass. It's nice to see that, right? Yeah. There are consequences for your actions and although he didn't do any of the harassment himself, just being involved, it's it's really concerning to me. I don't know how you feel, Lindsay. Yeah, you know, you said um, shocking and upsetting, and I would agree with upsetting, but I don't know if I'm necessarily shocked because I feel like there's a lot of human rights um, issues when it comes to the treatment of women that, you know, our systems are put in place to benefit men, and they were, you know, originally created by men. So, you know, when we have something like this happen, you know, to see somebody have consequences for their complacency in that is a good thing to see and it's a good step forward but I don't believe that our systems are set up yet to really protect women's rights in any kind of foundational organization yeah I think uh, one quote from this article that's really interesting is when he said that as a black gay man who has spent his whole life fighting for civil and human rights they cannot shut him up but I just think that's interesting to see how intersections in identity can cause somebody to at one point feel victimized themselves and yet not have that empathy for another marginalized group of people that can also be victimized by the society that treats you so awfully. I was going to add something in and then I realized I'm a cis-passing, white, masculine person and my story, my anecdote was about me talking with Mike in production who is a man, and a gay man at that, and while we do have opinions about this, and we were both very pleased that some organization was actually taking responsibility for the shit that its president or any member does in a tangible way, I don't think beyond that I have anything to add, really. It's not that it's not my fight, it's that there have been so many uh, masculine voices male voices uh, in the fight for for and against women's rights that I, I my voice isn't as important in this space so thank you guys so much for sharing I'm gonna talk over you now <laughs> uh, 
sorry. Pride Fest, Capitol Hill, came back in a big way. I was there uh, for the entirety of it, uh, hanging out with our ad manager, Maggie, and our publisher, Angela, and to some extent, Nate Gowdy and Renee Ricchetti, who did stop by. So, Lindsay, you and your girlfriend also stopped by for like five minutes, and I told you how weird it was that your dog won a competition. Um, mostly, I was handing out bags and newspapers. That was it. It was a lot of fun. There was a really loud DJ. There was a karaoke provided by the Crescent Lounge. It was huge. It was bigger than I expected, and probably, honestly, it's going to be a super spreader event. Um, thank God for vaccines and masks. We were all masked up there. Lindsay, what was your experience like? Because I'm not great in crowds. I was behind uh, a booth for most of it, intentionally. Yeah, no, I thought it was incredible. Um, I'd never been to, like I said, the first Pride event I went to was earlier this summer when I went to Taking Black Pride uh, with my little sisters who came to visit. So this is just, it was not what I expected at all. I live like two blocks away from Broadway and honestly didn't even know that it was happening on that street to like right by where I was living. I couldn't hear anything. I uh, went outside on Saturday afternoon to take the, the train to the International District because I like to get my bread there. And I was just like, whoa, there's so many gay people here. This is so cool. And um, yeah, it was a really good experience. And my dog did win a competition. I'd love to shout him out for that. Um, Petey, his drag name was Patricia. He won the dog drag competition for um, creating his own specific drag fursona that he uh, took onto the stage with a bedazzled cone. Um, we really made the most out of He had to be in a cone for a week because of an eye infection. So we bedazzled it, and uh, the queens loved him, and he loved them. Oh, my God. Do you have a picture of Petey and the I bedazzling? Do. Oh. Yes. I can, I'll send it to you guys right now. Not to be a downer, but what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was... I'm all for celebrating, you know, the weird celebrating the, you know, gayness, the LGBTQ plus community that I surround myself with and am a part of. Celebrate that. Celebrate the uniqueness of that. But what the fuck is going on with this dog drag competition? It's the best thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Yeah, so I actually found out about it from the paper. Like, we had a, a little blurb at the beginning of the paper advertising the doggy drag competition. Oh, I know. And. I know. Yeah. I picked it up, and I was like, damn, Petey's got to do this. And, yeah, he, we came all out. I found some rhinestones. I spent four hours the night before rhinestone bedazzling his cone. And um, I will send you the pictures. I just put them on my computer so I can send them your way. I actively participate in a... <laughs> dystopian corporatocracy by supporting Amazon and drinking energy drinks that say thermogenic fuel on them in a world where I have disgusting amounts of debt and horrific amounts of technology monitoring my everyday life and for some reason this doggy drag show is what has made me so incensed right now I'm furious this is the dystopia (laughs) this is the dystopia (laughs) I have literally, my brain broke. My brain, I knew about this, we talked about this, and the reality of it just set in. Like, I'm upset. Okay, so how happy was he? 
he was he was thrilled. Like I don't want to get into like inappropriate levels here, but he shows a very he's usually like very stoic in his emotions, and um, he was just very excited around the drag queens. He wore the outfit. He had like a tutu that I made for him out of a bandana that unfortunately lost when we were walking around. It fell off of him, and I didn't realize it. Um, oh, and we cut up a wig and gave him a little purple ponytail. So I think that that really impressed the queens the most. That is so cool. Thank you. I think Clifford needs to enter the show next year. It's open to all dogs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll get all the uh, SGN pets. Yes, uh, my snail. Are we the only two with dogs, though? <laughs> are we? I guess Carter has a cat. Yeah, Carter's got I'd a love cat. to see Luna in drag. <laughs> Where do we go from here now? Well, I, I can definitely keep <laughs> talking so about this. But I think it's time to go to the horoscope. Seattle Gay Horoscope. Aquarius, things are looking up this week. Just keep swimming and things will turn out all right. Pisces, you're on the verge of letting your anxieties get to you. Maybe some minor controlled spiraling would do you good. Aries, keep up the positive attitude. You don't have to explode at every minor inconvenience. Taurus, waiting on the right moment has never really been your style. It may be best to accept that there will never be a right moment. Gemini. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world and you're a three-legged terrier on a hot afternoon. Find cover. Cancer. Feeling lucky? Don't. Leo. It must be hard being so perfect all the time. If you can't put your finger on the problem in your life, try pointing at your mirror. Virgo. Try again later. Libra, blaming your dilemma on someone else is the last thing you should be doing, but you're going to do it anyway. Scorpio, there's a lot of weird heading your way. Just roll with it and you'll be fine. Sagittarius, sit with your feelings instead of projecting them on your loved ones. Capricorn, might be a good time to get a pet, like a lizard or something. You know, if it makes you feel any better, Petey has always had an interest in drag. Um, several years ago, I painted his nails Why pink, are we gendering and... our dog's outfits? <laughs> that's, that's the question. He has a lot of pink outfits, and people always assume he's a girl dog, and I, I say no. He just, he likes to wear pink. He can't see color anyways, so, you know, if he likes it, he likes it, and, um... My dad was very upset that I demasculated him by painting his nails. He's an him. animal. So <laughs> He's an animal. Exactly. I stand by the doggy drag show. He was a winner. He was a champion. My brain is so flipped over. I'm not even really angry. My brain is so flipped over by this. I don't know how to react because I live down the street from a dog acupuncturist. And I, th I reacted the same <laughs> way here. You know, my, my stepmom, Rachel, she's in massage therapy school and she's almost done and she always talks to me about the fact that there is doggy massage therapy and it 
it's like twice as expensive as human therapy but then I was asking her more and more about it and you know dogs when they get old they have like joint issues hip problems you know lots of pain so you massage all of those pain issues out and I think the same kind of goes with acupuncture in terms of like releasing some pressure and pain um but especially now like 20 years ago people weren't treating their dogs like actual family members you know they were treating them as animals and I think that huge shift in the fact that this isn't just like a dog like no it's a family member has allowed for more businesses like this to open up and more fun events and activities well no dog is just a dog right yeah i think we can agree on that my problem i guess is we can't understand our dogs we can't actively communicate and ask them what they want as it stands how do we know that our dog wants an acupuncturist why am i so upset about this <laughs> i don't know what it's it's taking away agency from an animal that already has no agency i mean i i think it's this generation of people that don't have children and probably will never have children treating our pets like our children the taking away agency from children is also not okay well if, if your child needs acupuncture they don't know how to communicate that to you you know, if a child has all the agency in the world, they won't eat their vegetables. They won't dress and drag to go to the dog drag show. On How many court. children do you think <laughs> actively want to be in a beauty pageant? Oh, Jesus Christ. That is a good point. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, our goofy ass podcast has Bruce Harrell interview. I interviewed mayoral candidate Bruce Harrell. And it did not go like this at all. It was delightful. <laughs> Is this not delightful enough? My gosh. <laughs> I'm having a great time. What about you, Hannah? Yeah, I'm loving this. <laughs> I think I think Rebus should enter a drag competition. Then you'd understand. First off, it's a snail. So there's no way to flip it, switch it, and reverse it. There's no Missy editing. No... No, I'm getting this back on track. We're getting back on track. We're not having this conversation anymore. <laughs> We're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we've got an interview with Bruce Harrell, mayoral candidate for the Seattle election. Um, he talks about his candidacy, about his upbringing, and about his uh, campaign policies. And... Then after that, we're going to talk about COVID in schools and so much more. Thank you for sticking with us through this very strange episode. We'll be right back after this. Radio SGN is brought to you by Intamin. Intamin is now the professional theater in residence at Seattle Central College. Join in and celebrate the return of the live arts in a safe outdoor setting this fall at Homecoming Performing Arts Festival. Harvard Ave between Pike Pine will be transformed with vendors, food trucks, and over 100 artists performing on the main stage. Tickets and more information at Intamin.org. That's I-N-T-I-M-A-N dot org. Joining me today via Zoom is a Seattle-born attorney who served as a city council member for District 2, uh, president of the city council, and also served as acting mayor 
of Seattle in 2017, endorsed by the Amalgamated Transit Unions, Communication Workers of America, Democrats for Diversity and Inclusion, among several others. Seattle Times also endorsed them. A man touted as a mayoral candidate committed to unity, Bruce Harrell. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Ash. Thanks for having me. It's absolutely my pleasure. Well, for those of us who may not be as in tune with the mayoral race as we'd like to, tell us a little bit about yourself and your campaign. Thank you. I'm a local product. I think um, I went to public schools here in Seattle, T.T. Minor, Meany, and Garfield. They're all still around and the University of Washington. And, and my mother and father went to Garfield High School. Um, I, I'm of mixed heritage. My Black family hails from Louisiana, New Orleans, Louisiana. And my father came up here with his family. And my mother, while she was born in Seattle, her uh, siblings all were born in Japan and they met in high school. And, um, and so I'm a, sort of a result of policies that at that particular time were really strong. They recognized through the civil rights era that there was blatant race discrimination, that there were, should be better opportunities for racial minorities. Um, there was still a lot of bigotry uh, that was still very apparent, both race and against the LGBTQ plus com uh, communities, uh, all kinds of bigotry. Not to say it's gone today, of course, but to say that uh, we weren't perfect back then, but I was at the right place in the right times in technology and telecommunications. And so my candidacy rep represents, I think, a desire necessarily not to go back, but a desire to look at what, can, what we can be when we are intentional about creating opportunities for everyone, for eradicating bigotry, um, for not demonizing one another, but for trying to bring out the best in one another. And Ash, I say that to say that while we spend a lot of time celebrating diversity and celebrating our differences and trying to better understand our cultural differences, whatever, however you define that, that for me, and this represents my candidacy, that that has to lead to a path of common understanding about our human experience. Um, I've been at the hospital visiting some people this week because uh, we've had some challenges, uh, some health challenges, cancer-related challenges um, with a few friends. When you're born and raised in a city, you know a lot of people and you deal with this, um, you know, monthly. Mm -hmm. And that, that transcends race, that all races, all uh, demographics, uh, wealth, poor, everything in the middle, how, religions, whatever, whatever differences we have, that, that transcends, that's the human experience we all deal with, losing people we love, fighting for people we love. And so... I think that right now, as we fight for justice and fight for opportunity and fight for uh, against income inequality, that we have to be motivated and sustained by that human experience that we have. Uh, I've always been warmly embraced by the LGBTQ community, I think, because as I'm a proven commodity for my, my stand with the community that I'm uh, and I don't know if it's because of my biracial mix or um, the people in my family who I love dearly that are very active in the LGBTQ plus community. I was fortunate because I had parents that were just ahead of their time. They were the ultimate liberals in, in mm -hmm. however you define liberalism. So I've been very <laughs> blessed to not judge anyone, but to be very loving and accepting. And so our campaign, Ash, is, is positive. It's collaborative, but it's strong. And I think that's what's going to set us apart and hopefully take us across the finish line. Okay, well, let's talk a little bit about 
Well, thank you for that answer, by the way. Appreciate that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, policy. I've actually got one of your flyers that I got mailed to myself here. You must be a good, you must be a good voter. We only mail the good voters. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's about the homelessness crisis. Specifically, uh, it mentions Compassion Seattle a ballot proposal, which is, I believe, Charter Amendment 29. Am I correct there? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So as a voter, I have a few questions about Compassion Seattle because I'm not 100% sure that I support all of their plans, you know, so if we could go through that, I've actually got their website right here. So here's what they have on their website. We envision a city that is compassionate, caring, takes bold action, and is held accountable when addressing human service issues. That's great. This includes providing uh, treatment and support for substance use disorder. Awesome. Mental health services, including a rapid response team that is available as an alternative to police in some situations. Fantastic. Combining services with housing options, such as enhanced shelter, tiny houses, hotel rooms, and permanent supportive housing. Okay, great. This bullet point here is where my sort of eyebrows raise. Only after services and housing options are available is the city required to keep public spaces, including parks and sidewalks, open and clear of encampments. The question that I have is that seems a little vague to me. And I was hoping you could sort of elucidate on Compassion Seattle as a whole or um, your support of it, because that to me sounds like it does endorse uh, sweeps of encampments. Am I wrong there or is there? um... So... Let me approach it this way, Ash, and sure. that is, I try very hard to understand the critics or the opposition to Compassionate Seattle, because mm-hmm. this will distinguish myself from my opponent, that I believe she opposes it. Mm-hmm. And before I embrace and support anything, I want to make sure it's right policy. I want to make sure it's not a dog whistle for treating anyone inhumane or endorsing policies that I cannot personally support. And you may recall, I was the one who introduced to the city, the human rights legislation declared us a human rights city under Mm -hmm. the Declaration of Human Rights. I was the one that passed the ban the box legislation such that people cannot be discriminated against if they've committed a crime, the race and social justice initiative. Um, and I have platforms that I'm running on that will fight for the opportunities for, for folks. And I've been in this homeless space for quite some time. My wife used to work for United Way as the head of United Way. And so I want to make sure it's good policy. So when I talk to the critics of the plan, I want to listen because I would oppose it if I believe that it's bad policy. Mm-hmm. And so many of the, uh, some of the opposition have said it's an unfunded mandate. It's requiring action and uh, it's not funded. And I say, well, it only requires 12% of the budget to go toward HSD. They're already spending 11%. I will exceed 12%. Okay. That's only about another 18 million. And I think that we have to not only increase our spending, but we have completely transparent through a published plan such that people could see exactly what we're doing, when we're moving, how we're moving. And that Charter 29 amendment requires a published plan. Mm-hmm. And so get to getting to the meat of your concern, I do not believe it's a dog whistle for, for unauthorized inhumane sweeps. I'm not seeing that in the language. And quite honestly, as mayor, I would not condone that. That is not my approach toward homelessness. My approach toward homelessness is making sure that everyone has a home and shelter in warm water 
uh, and are offered that and are moved there because I think it's inhumane to let someone live in a tent. I would visit around City Hall this morning and I saw tents across the street on 4th Avenue from City Hall. In my mind, with the exhaust and the fossil fuels leaking right where they're breathing with no warm water, no heat, it is inhumane to allow them to live there and not give them the treatment. So I'm not hearing, I'm not hearing a well-grounded opposition. I'm mm -hmm. hearing a fear, a fear that all of a sudden our city, the city that I love so much, will turn into this draconian, mean-spirited, unauthorized, sweet uh, city. That's not going to happen under my, my candidacy. And I have no record of supporting that. So uh, again, I have so much respect for people who have voiced concerns, but I'm just not seeing them grounded in fact or reality. Well, I appreciate your direct response to that. What I think, I, I, I apologize for interruption. No, no, it's okay. Yeah. You, you gave me permission. Yeah, please do. Plus, no. I'm, I'm, I've got a few <laughs> years on you, so I'm going to pull the elderly card on you. <laughs> um, it is forcing the city's hand, though. See, I think that the, we are in the worst situation where the inaction is hurting our city. And I think the fear is that now all of a sudden we're by charter amendment, which is always scary when you are amending the charter, right? Mm -hmm. It's sacrosanct to say we're amending the charter, but we've done it before. And it's like it's forcing the action. And what I'm saying is I would not run for mayor if people are not forcing me to take action. The sure. worst thing a mayor could do or a city council could do is do nothing. That is the worst thing. And it's the easiest thing often is to do nothing. So I think the fear of it forcing, in this case, negative action is just not based in reality. And I don't think the city would tolerate that anyway. So it's a choice for the voters to make. And I just believe that um, we it, it, it gives me the flexibility as mayor to do what I need to do to solve the problem. And I said, Ash, that the problem is gonna rest with me. I, have, I make no, no excuses that my success or failure will be defined on how urgently and with love and care and compassion, I solve the problem. That is how my success will be defined. And so I'm not gonna run away or make excuses. And I believe I can work within the parameters and the scope of Charter 29 to get the job done. Let's dive into that actually a little bit. You said your motivations for becoming mayor. Let's talk a little bit more about you and your upbringing and you know, growing up in Seattle. I know we've touched on it a little bit, but who is Bruce Harrell? Who are we voting for? So Ash, you're voting for someone that's probably been called every name in the book, that has been labeled, treated unfairly, whose mother was interned by the government simply because she was Japanese, even though she was born here. Uh, you're talking to someone who grew up in a biracial home who, when the race discussions were occurring, never knew where he fit in. I, I didn't know, well, am I black or am I Japanese or am I, what am I? And how do I fit into this anger in the 60s and 70s and 80s that seems to paralyze this country? And then I realized and I look around the people that I loved and who supported me and said, because my mom and dad and I go to college and I grew up in the central district and there weren't a lot of lawyers and doctors in my neighborhood, but I grew up around people and Ashton said, well, geez, you're a hard worker, man. And you seem to make people laugh and you seem to inspire people and you got some leadership skills. You can do this and you can do that. And I migrated around good people. Many of them were black. Many of them were white. Many of them were mixed like me. And, and I can go down the description of races and whether they're LGBTQ plus or not. And many of them were, I just had a network of friends who loved me. And 
people will see me at forums and they will say, well, he seems to be pretty self-assured. It didn't come, people aren't born that way. They are a product of love. And so I tell folks this, the impediments to self-growth, that doesn't know a race. Certainly there's institutional racism against African-Americans and indigenous peoples and other de racial demographics that are glaring, yes. But I know white kids whose parents are on methamphetamines um, that grew up through the foster system that came from abusive household, that the pain and the impediments towards success, they don't, they're not confined to one group. So I made a passion looking at all the privileges that I have. I have the, the most important privilege I had was a mom and dad that loved each other. If I said I wanted to play a violin in a week or two, there'd be a violin in my house. And that's it's a made up story because I don't know how to play the violin, <laughs> but they always uh, let me try to explore my gifts. That was a privilege. That was an unearned privilege. And so when I look at what's happening in our city, that there are so many people doing so, so incredibly well. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them. But when I look at someone like Jeff Bezos, who's worth 186 billion, I'm thinking, well, the younger folks are thinking, well, the, the rules are rigged. How could that man have so much? And there's so many people that have so little. And so the anger and the frustration that the younger generation has, I get it. I've lived through it. We had these same questions when I was in my 20s. So now I'm in a position to really address this publicly with passion, with proven experience. And when I look at a subclass of poverty that now teachers or journalists or musicians or baristas or food service workers, when they are housing insecure, just scraping by to live in a city, I say that is unjust. And I have to find a way to find revenue streams and good policies and networks and mentorships and programs to make sure that we we all enjoy some level of success and inclusion. So in a nutshell, I'm all about inclusiveness. That is my life story, that, that I'm the person that, if I'm around a room and there's 10 or 11 of us talking and I see someone over on the sidelines feel left out, I'm always one person, hey man, hey, what, what's going on? And, I'll, and if they're shorter than me and they're just young, I'll kneel down and talk to them at a level and say, hey, let's, let's do this. I had, a, I had a, if I may digress for a second, I had a very interesting conversation happen about um, during uh, maybe about eight weeks or so ago. I had a young Somali woman with her son and her daughter. And the kid was in the ninth grade. And I just took to him because he reminded me when I was in the ninth grade and he was just full of, he was a straight A student, just full of energy and bright eyed. And, and he was with his little sister and and I looked at the family and just thought, oh, that was my mother. I just have to follow her around everywhere. And I think a week or two later, the kid drowned. He died. And I found this out just a few days ago um, here in Seattle. And, you know, I cried with the mother realizing how short life is. And it was an unfortunate accident, of course. And actually don't know what happened. We're trying to get closure on that situation. It was a situation that happened at, at Green Lake. And that told me while I run for mayor that I have to have a sense of urgency to help people. It's not about being driven around as a, as a chauffeur or security. It's not about giving speeches and having people adore you because you're the mayor. It has absolutely nothing to do with that. It has to do with 
fighting with every ounce of energy I have for people who need to be treated fairly. That's what my cannabis is about. And quite frankly, you can't, you can't bluff that. You either have it or you don't. You're either authentic or you're not. And I'd like to say the people on my campaign, many of whom I've known my entire life, realize that I've been that way my entire life. That is a quality that has been commented on by everyone that I've spoken to in preparation for this interview. Uh, everyone I've spoken to who's met you, authenticity. And uh, that's not something you find a lot in politicians. I can't speak to your uh, opponents. I haven't met them. But um, I, for one, appreciate that you're, uh, you seem pretty down to earth. And that's not something that I say lightly. I appreciate that. Yeah. That, that's, that's high praise uh, coming from you. And I, I deeply appreciate that. And I only have one opponent now. We're down to down just me and, and my opponent. It was 15, and I've uh, had many conversations with some that were running. Warm conversations, Ash, because I, I learned a lot from them. I was listening on some of the answers. There's one forum where I went to and was on economic development, and one guy gave an answer. I, I couldn't even touch the answer. So my answer was, man, everything he just said, I agree with everything he just said. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to. <laughs> so let's say the candidacy doesn't go well. Let's say you are not elected mayor at the end of all this. Do you have a plan for that? Are you going to go back to city council? What are you thinking? So it's sort of funny because um, I ran for mayor in 2013 mm -hmm. and, and a similar question was asked of me. And my response now is the same one I gave, gave then. That I just never, um, I never envisioned losing anything that I've done. I'm going to enjoy life if, if, if I'm blessed to be cancer-free and COVID-free and no mental illness and all the other things that I, I thank God for every single day of my life. If I, uh, life goes on and I'll do good work and serve my community, but I don't envision losing because that's just in my DNA. I just sort of see victory in what I do. And so someone said, well, you lost in 2013. And I said, well, I, I eventually became the mayor right <laughs> so, <laughs> and it well, only for five days well i said well there's no duration on it. i said I, I, I see so i did what did i lose and so um you know i i approach it that way i don't hedge my bets i'm sober enough to realize that nothing is guaranteed but when i wake up every day i ask myself what can i do to win because for me it's not just me winning i have a whole slew of people that would like to work in the administration and would like to effectuate change and who I think need a voice more than mine. So it's not so much me. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I mean, I'm cool. I, 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 I'm a lawyer. I could do many things, mm -hmm. but there are so many people depending on me um, to win because it's their time as well that, you know, I would be the first um, person of Asian heritage to be the mayor. I'd be the second African-American person of African-American descent in 25 years. And if we learned one thing in the George Floyd murder in this country that we all witnessed, that you would think in 2021, we wouldn't witness that kind of murder. That when we go back and look at footage in the 60s and the 50s and the 70s, and we saw atrocious violence committed by police officers would look back and say, well, 
look what happened back then, how they would unleash the dogs and the fire hoses on protesters. Well, we didn't see someone kneeling on someone's neck, killing them. I haven't seen that footage in 50s and 60s. We, we've seen more egregious things, stories like the Emmett Till um, tragedy and murder. Our country is filled with pain. But what we've learned out of that is we have to be so intentional about fighting these problems. And, and I'll bring it right back to the LGBTQ plus community that many who identify with that particular community, they know all so well about bigotry. It is real. When you look at some of the, uh, the white supremacy groups or the white nationalist groups or some of the bigoted groups and they are fighting against race, you know they're also fighting against the LGBTQ plus community. They're, that's not that's part of their mantra as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that there's an anti-Jewish sentiment that continues to uh, be voiced. And so when you see any kind of hate group, and that's why I'm so in tune with being against hate crimes. And what I'm what I'll introduce is a race and data initiative where we continue to hammer on the issue of race and data and social justice because that kind of hatred that would drive someone to violence the the violence against asians as an example that kind of hatred again that doesn't it just doesn't stop there with asians it goes to lgbtq plus it goes to african americans and latinos and native americans so under my leadership you're going to see seattle hopefully become the model for this country on eradicating that kind of hate, which again is rooted in ignorance and fear. Ignorance and fear. And we have to call it out for what it is and we have to get in front of it. So you touch on a a couple of things that I'd like to dig into a little more if you've got some time. Yes, I do. Um, Your race and data initiative, are you at liberty to go over that a little bit more? Could you sort of talk about that? Yeah, so what we wanna do, and it. I'm calling the race and data initiative. It's RADI, so it's sort of the like a radical approach, mm-hmm. uh, but it'll cover even more than race. But what what I want to look at is not just what's what's um, apparent to the to the eye. I want to be what's you know to the naked eye. I want to look at patterns and processes, processes and institutional practices that result again in bigotry and unfairness. So we want to look at and test. Uh, who's not getting certain jobs? What kinds of communities are getting under underfunded? Mm-hmm. What kind of practices? Let me give you a specific example. That when we looked at um, where street lights were out in certain areas of the town, it seemed like, in my estimation, it seemed like the poorer areas they had a higher level of street lights being out, and the affluent areas had higher success rates and getting quicker times, quicker response times. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, geez, that's unfair. Well, we realize that many cultures don't report. They don't complain as much. For whatever reason, they do not complain when a streetlight goes out. And so we, our, their policy was we, we repair when they complain. There wasn't a racist or an elitist kind of person making that decision, but it was a practice that we uncovered. And then we did something about it. I instituted a policy where we would change by quadrants and, not, and, and eradicate our, and, and rid ourselves from a complaint-based policy. So... In this initiative, I want to look at all of the data by which we could really measure who's being treated unfairly, particularly with, it could be 
who's receiving grants, who's going to school, who's not going to school. They could look at the data on uh, whether communities are adequately served or for social services, et cetera. Even with the homeless community, I wanna do a deep dive on where, where are their breakdowns in policies for them? How does someone end up there? And we know it could be mental illness, it could be special education, it could be drug and alcohol treatment, it could be um, someone's just down on their luck because of a, a medical bill. I wanna look at all the data and then that will drive our policies as opposed to just people giving fancy speeches. And so, and the, and the thing about it uh, is that actually there's a ton of bench strength out there in a private world that can help us. I could, I could, I could get data miners and open source advocates and technologists to help me with this work. And I believe that we have good people in the city who will help me get this done. And if there's one flaw in the city of Seattle and how they run the city of Seattle is they have yet to figure out how to tap into all of the bench strength out there, large business, medium business, small business, all the people that want to give their, their help. Homelessness is a great example. Most of my friends will say, well, geez, Bruce, how can I help? What can I do for a homeless person? And I will say, I'm going to answer that question for you. This is where you can fit in. This is your entry point. So this race and data initiative is going to be a, a means by which we can open up all the data, look at our systemic problems, and then solve them. Thank you for that. Uh, you also touched on police violence a little bit. I don't really know a lot about how the office of mayor and the police chief interact. Um, I experienced firsthand how the police uh, interact with the public during the protests. 2020. Some people have put forth uh, an initiative to uh, get rid of police. I'm not going to ask you to speak on that if you're not comfortable with speaking on that at the moment. Right now, tensions between cops in Capitol Hill, where the East Precinct fell, and everyone else <laughs> around the city are pretty high. You're the candidate for unity. What are your thoughts on the protests, on the way the police handled that, etc.? Yeah, I'm not uncomfortable at all as talking about any subject relative to this race or or a place. And so when I hear some very smart and kind and passionate people talking about abolishing the police department or defunding the police department, I listen mm -hmm. and I want to know, number one, I want to understand the pain because I feel the same pain. And I want to know from a policy standpoint, what does that look like in the next three to five years? OK, and then I try to find a common path of reform and reimagining a police department that I could build a police department on. And I, quite candidly, I think I, found, I think I know the path. And I know that I think because um, I, I've done a lot of work in organizational design and improvement throughout the years. I have a master's degree in it and I study how to make either groups or departments or corporations very effective. And so here's sort of my plan. And this is where I come out on it. Number one, the chief of police reports right to the mayor. It's a direct report. So he or she will have the authority to fire and hire that person and use a process by which that is accomplished. But there's a direct reporting relationship. And the chief that I envision will be masterful at knowing cultures and de-escalation and, and will have strong people skills and will say that first and foremost, we will build community trust wherever we go and whenever we go out to community. And the culture of the police department, well, let me back up. I believe you have to still have a police department. I believe that if 
if someone breaks into my home in the middle of the night and I'm here with my family or my grandkids, I, I want to feel safe. I, I don't want to go down and take law into my own hands. And I expect a police officer to show up and hopefully assist me. They can take what they want, but I want to feel secure. And I want people who are elderly or vulnerable, uh, people who experience hate crimes. I want them to have an assurance that the police will make sure that their rights to safety are protected. I want seven minute response times. I do not want someone like Charlene Lyles who had mental illness, who had called the police 19 times that had schizophrenic tendencies. I do not want her to call the police and I do not want officers with a gun and badge to show up. I would rather have a, a mental health counselor, a person adept and culturally competent and kind to realize that she needs help. And in that situation, as you well know, she died at the hands of police officers. So to the defenders and to the uh, abolitionists, I will say that that is not the approach we will condone. We will build a new kind of police department and we will examine everywhere a gun and badge goes. And if a gun and badge is not necessary, they will not go there. They will not. And we will have, whether it's uh, mediators or de-escalation um, advocates, mental health counselors, uh, social workers, we will have that skill set there. And again, this country is trying to redefine what this is supposed to look like. And I think we have a great opportunity working through the bargaining process and my departmental design, what that will look like. So, so again, you know, ha having experienced of um, some great experiences with police officers and some not great experience with police officers. I don't talk a lot about either one because I don't know if my experiences are completely aligned with other people's. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that as a black man in the 60s in the central district of Seattle, I had numerous less than pleasant experience with police officers. <laughs> and, and so how we handled in the city protests, peaceful protests, was wrong in so many ways. There, we were heavy-handed. We uh, made no distinction between peaceful protesters and anarchists. And furthermore, I'm not even sure the city fully even understood why people are protesting. I protested in George Floyd. I walked in March with thousands of people. And in this particular march that comes to mind, one that was on the south end of Seattle, we organized to make sure that we did not need the police for what we were doing. And we did not want bricks thrown through windows. We wanted our voices heard and we wanted to hear from other community leaders. So I think that my ability, again, to broach race issues head on. And if you look at my endorsement page, you'll see NWCP, representatives, LGBTQ leaders, people from the faith-based communities, people that are public safety advocates and everything in between all of those demographics supporting me. I'm gonna be passionate about making sure people feel safe, but we eradicate unreasonable force and lethal force. I gotta change the culture in the police department. I have to change the culture. I'm gonna to to change the people. There's some people that have to go. When I said, um, when I said, when I, during my kickoff, I said, I wanted every officer to voluntarily watch the George Floyd murder. People didn't hear the word voluntarily. Hmm. I said, voluntarily watch the George Floyd murder. And then I said, voluntarily sign an oath saying that that inhumane treatment, that murder will not happen in Seattle. And someone stupidly and, and in a snarky fashion say, 
Bruce Harrow's answer to Formers, they haven't watched the videos. They missed the point. The point is that if a police officer, if they watch that video voluntarily and they cannot look me in the eye and say that was murder, they have no place on the department. They should not take their oath of office. That is not something I can, I can't train that person. I can't put in safeguards. I can't put in early warning signs when he or she may go off on somebody. They should not be on the department. If they cannot at least look at that one, and I could show five other examples of murder at the hands of police to say, can we agree that that was wrong? And if they can't, then maybe they should go into another line of business because they will have no place on our police department. I'm going to build community trust because I told officers, I was at a basketball game and I saw some officers standing around the um, wall and they're sitting like this with the you know the closed position as they say right after closed position mm -hmm. said you know this is when you build community trust go mix it up with these young folks go talk to them go mess around with them a little bit let them know that, that they matter that they're human beings get off the wall so you're going to see under my leadership a whole new culture change and it's going to start with me it's going to start with the chief it's going to start from the bottom of the ranks the rank and file and the informal leaders are going to take control of the police department and it's going to be for the better for the better to better serve our community well that was incredibly enlightening and i really appreciate that um i got one more question for you it's a fluff question it's nice and easy what's your favorite coffee shop in the city my favorite coffee shop uh is cafe vita that's a small little place up there's one on capitol hill too i know yeah, yeah. up on uh there's another one up on i think it's wilson avenue it's my favorite little espresso shop for sure. What do you like about it? I like the fact that, number one, they really take their time. I hate it when they just rush it and it's ready in 20 seconds. <laughs> the flavor <laughs> of uh, Americano is very, very good. And the people never seem to be in a rush. And so I'm always having pleasant conversations with people. Um, just a nice little vibe, nice little rhythm that I enjoy. That is nice because Seattleites, I've noticed being a transplant myself uh, from California, where things are a little more slow paced never really take the time to breathe i felt you know yeah cafe vita all right well bruce thank you so much for joining me again today and i really do appreciate you being on the show my pleasure um is there anything you'd like to leave us with before the interview's out i just want to thank you you're um i always say i don't know the compliment you're you're fair you're kind you're open-ended on the questions i appreciate you taking the time you know, you're helping build community in these conversations. And I, I don't know financially whether you're making a ton of money doing this kind of stuff. But my, <laughs> some people choose to, to do things because they care about community, they care about other people. And while there's nothing run, wrong with making a ton of money, I always respect people that do what they, that they're passionate about. And thank you. Thank you for taking the time to spend with me. Bruce, I really thank you so much. Um for saying that i i always kind of figure you know put good in get good out mm -hmm. and um something that i um try to do so thank you i'm glad that came through um well again thanks and uh that's that's it let's go back to the show and we're back bruce if you're listening thank you so much for your interview uh thanks for being on the show Folks, we like to keep it light and a little bit ridiculous here at Radio SGN. Uh, considering you just listened to the first half of the show, you already know that. But in all seriousness, you should be informed when you make your decision. Uh, life is rough, 
and we don't have control over a lot of things in our lives, so that's why we like to keep things a little bit fun, right? But what you do have control over is casting your vote in the upcoming mayoral election. With that in mind, you should know that Compassion Seattle, which is something that we discussed in that interview, has since been stricken from the ballot by our court system. Whether or not that decision will be appealed still remains to be seen. Uh, of course, when you're making your decisions, you shouldn't just rely on one news source or one interview for all of your information. That's just smart. That's just fair journalism. And thank you again uh, for listening into that. Back to school. Hannah, what's going on? You got your backpack. Always. Brand spanking new hoodies. And you got COVID. Yeah, for this uh, past edition, I talked a little bit about uh, Washington schools reopening and students returning for in-person learning. This is their third COVID school year, which is just kind of huge. And in my piece, I go over um, different facts, like how many kids are vaccinated in different age groups. Um, And then I also dive into what safety and preventative measures schools are required to take um, to ensure the safety of staff and students. That includes everything from after-school activities such as Uh, music groups and singing and band and even um, athletic competitions and practices. There's there's a lot of information to dissect in the piece, but it's very, very important to understand if you have children specifically what what safety measures they are required to take while they return to in-person learning. So yeah, I just kind of laid that all out. Great! That was very informative, thank you. So basically we've got the Delta variant, we've got the Mu variant, uh, we've got all kinds of shit, and Washington still hasn't shut down. Uh, And actually we're opening up even more. Like, I went to a concert last night. Of course everything was masked and socially distanced. Uh, It's the Monkey's Farewell Tour. Yes, I am that cool. But, uh, you know, what, what what are you guys thinking about that? I... Specifically, when it comes to children who are in grade school, kindergarten through 12th grade, um, I think it's important to keep in mind, even out of the amount of people who are eligible to receive a vaccine, a fat chunk have not. So there's that. And then with kids, the Pfizer vaccine is only eligible for those ages 12 and above. So kids who are younger than 12 are still unvaccinated and I'd consider them especially with the Delta variant I don't want to say high risk but definitely higher risk than myself who is fully vaccinated so I think it's just important to be mindful of hey some of these younger kids aren't vaccinated all they have right now is their mask and hand washing and uh, physical distancing and We all have to work together to make sure these kids are safe. And I think a huge step is school safety measures. Um, But yeah, it is concerning with the Delta variant. You know, this thing spreads like wildfire and we should expect more vaccines for younger age groups to come through by the the winter time. But we'll we'll just see how this plays out. And I do know the kids 
they need to get back to in-person learning for socialization purposes and yeah i mean as much as seattleite kids can socialize well folks that's almost all the time we have uh thank you so much for listening thank you for tuning in to our weird show uh about the news and about my strong reactions to stupid things um yeah, it means the world to us. If you want to check out the website, sgn.org, check us out at Seattle Gay News on Instagram and at Seattle Gay News on Twitter as well. Check out our TikTok. Uh, what is that again? Uh, Seattle Gay News underscore. Um, okay. Anything you guys want to say before we head out? Nah, said no. Cool. Just, you know, respect your dog queens. They're out there working for you. Slaying. Yeah. I do want to say thank you for listening. As always, we, we appreciate listeners. We appreciate you. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, this has been Radio SGN. And we'll see you in the funny pages. All right, guys. Well, that was interesting. Radio SGN is recorded by A.V. Eichenbaum, Hannah Saunders, and Lindsay Anderson, and produced by A.V. Eichenbaum. Music for this show is by Jesse Spillane and T.R.G. Banks, or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in next time.